So glad you did that, Mike Moore. So glad you allowed the music to breathe, unlike Holesclaw. Holesclaw would never do that when he was on the podcast. <laughs> you know what used to irritate the living yeah, crap yeah. out of Tell me? Tell me more. Tell me more. Holesclaw would always go, let it breathe, Dave. Let it breathe. <laughs> oh, man. That's, that's true. That's true. Uh, I really oh, wish wait, he was I here. I think I heard a voice from the past. Did you hear a voice from the past, Mike Moore? Holesclaw. Oh yeah, ladies and gentlemen, here we are again on Theology on Mission podcast, where theology meets mission. The questions of engaging our culture for Christ and his kingdom, and by the way, that's a tagline that I wrote after Holesclaw left the podcast. Post-Holesclaw. PH. That's a post-Holesclaw. Holesclaw. Can't even say his name anymore. I don't know, kidding. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Theology on Mission podcast. And Mike Moore, would you like to introduce our very, 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 very special guest? Oh, yes. Yeah. It is the man, the myth, the legend. The, the man who's been... myth. <laughs> but the, the man who's been referenced on this podcast for the last few years more than anybody. Someone uh, once said, uh, refer to him as the man who ditched. <laughs> oh, really? The man I who did. ditched and went to Grand Rapids. <laughs> I want, did Dave Fitch say that? Yes. So this is Jeff Holesclaw. I'm back on the podcast. They keep Great to have to you, Jeff Holesclaw. As if I was dead or something. Yeah. So yeah. have I supplanted Hiawas as like the go-to reference? Like, yes. Because when Dave and I were uh, co-hosting, it was always like, how long until a Hiawas reference was dropped? <laughs> but now, So now it's kind of like, oh, and Holesclaw is here. <laughs> Holesclaw, Holesclaw uh, what, what's his name again? I don't think I know who Holesclaw is. D- Dave's still working on his Holesclaw <laughs> impersonation. That was my Hiawas yeah. imitation. I know. I know that was. <laughs> For, for those, Stanley, uh, if you're listening, we still love you, and I still refer to you more than I refer to Holesclaw, although you're both As gay. you should. As you should. <laughs> but for those who don't know who Jeff is, which, which there are probably a few people, I, I talked to somebody recently who's been listening to the podcast just for the last eight months, and they said, who is this guy you keep referring to? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for those who don't know, Jeff is a, theo- a theology professor here at Northern Seminary. One of the um, originators of Theology on Mission, and he and his wife, Sid, they live in Grand Rapids. Jeff is a pastor at... And Vi- Sid. Oh, yeah, Jeff, yeah, we're, yeah both, we're both pastors at the Vineyard North in Grand Rapids. Grand yes. Rapids. Yeah. yeah. Up in the yeah. Reformed land. And yes. uh, he's uh, Holesclaw's the man responsible for the sound studio that we sit in to this day. It's uh, so rich in aesthetics. It's... Uh, it's uh what do you call this stuff on the, the wall foam foam yeah he put he installed all the foam we called this the griffith sound recording studio because we first started podcasting in this little room off the library in the old buildings and it was uh, actually funded by a man named griffith if you're out there uh, uh you uh, ancestors of of the griffith sound studio we could use a few more dollars in cash to upgrade the studio but anyways we're thinking about renaming it Holes Claw in Memoriam Sound <laughs> Studio. But I'm not dead. I'm still here. He's still alive. <laughs> yeah. So we could probably banter for another, uh, I don't know, at least 20 minutes. No, no. We're actually going to get to the heart of why uh, we invited Dr. Holes Claw onto the show. Yeah. And it's because he went uh, toe-to-toe 
with the Giants. Toe-to-toe <laughs> toe to toe with uh, David Bentley Hart, who, by the way, wrote the book here. That I think it came out about three months ago. That All Shall Be Saved. It's a book that uh, is provocative, the book that is uh, advocating for uh, a grand vision of universalism and a picture of God that I don't think was that uh, original, if I can put it that way. But I didn't read the book. I confess, I didn't read the book very thoroughly. In fact, I only read uh, the intro and the ending, uh, which is what I do <laughs> when uh, I think I know what the rest of the book already says. So it's so helpful that we invited you, Jeff Holsclaw, onto the show. So the first question for you, Holden, wait, wait, really quick. So when you blurbed my forthcoming book, you only read the intro and the conclusion, <laughs> and then <Yes>. you wrote- <laughs> because because I've been listening to that book for twenty five years, which is as long as that's, I've known you. That's true. That's I knew true. you when you were eight years old. Uh, anyway. No, that is not true. <laughs> not true. Anyway, so uh, Mike Moore's kind of under the weather. By the way, you young guys simply can't keep up with the pace of Fitch. The old guy. Uh, so he's he's sipping his tea. So if if he's a little quiet, folks, please understand. I've had to like step in and because uh, he's a, he, when I first came into the sound studio, he was sneezing all over the place. It's I'm true. the one who could come out of this sick as a dog. But anyways, um, okay. First question: Why did you read this book? Why did you take it so seriously? Because frankly, Holtzclaw, you wrote, what, three posts on it, extensive posts. I would consider some of them with the rigor of an academic. You took it quite seriously. Why? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So Mike Brown, who's also a student uh, there at Northern Seminary, he kind of floated the idea about this book to me last summer. He's like, oh, I'm really looking forward to this book. And I was like, oh, why? He's like, well, I have a lot of friends who are like really considered or are considering, you know, universalism as a theological option. I was like, oh, interesting. And so uh, I kind of did it both um, as certainly as an academic, but as a pastor also. It's just um, and so I have and I think a lot of us have these similar theological trajectories of like, well, I'm moving out of a heavy-handed reformed theology and their penal substitutionary atonement, their certainty about all these things. And I'm moving into more of a Christus Victor kind of um, understanding of salvation. Um, and so for myself, but also for other people, it's like, well, if I'm going to be Christus Victor, instead of the damning, you know, half the world to hell because it increases God's glory view, if I want to be more Christus Victor, then does that entail uh, some sort of universal. If Jesus really is the victor, then isn't he the victor over everything, which is kind of what, um, you know, Hart um, and others argue. Uh, so why, I read it kind of from that that perspective. And, you know, my dissertation, half of it was on Augustine and um, kind of a, a classical understanding of the free will, which Hart uh, takes advantage of quite a bit in his kind of arguments, which we can get to if you want. But that's, a, it was a pastoral as well as a kind of, pr- professional academic interest in the book mm, great mm-hmm. well can we uh can we actually jump into it you, you said um <laughs> you, you mentioned augustine's view of free will and how Hart employs it C- can you start there and start unpacking a little bit of the book for those who haven't read it yeah well so the free will argument is the one that i'm probably most in sympathy of with him um, it's just how he deploys it. So it might, it might be better to kind of come back to that at the end. Uh, but like the first part, 
Uh, so he kind of has these four meditations. The first one is a meditation on who is God. Um, and he kind of argues that if God is really a good God, um, then um, the goodness of God needs to be judged, not at the beginning of creation, but rather at the end of creation, at the end, like the telos, the how, how all things come to an end. Um, and he argues along following uh, Gregory of Nyssa that um, in, a, in a sense, God can't be called good if even one part of his creation is damned to hell for all of eternity. Uh, and he would even say, although he doesn't really argue with annihilationists, but he'd say even if uh, things go out of existence, that is, it, it defeats the goodness of God. So he kind of has this all or nothing view of God's goodness that God's goodness is defeated. And that's kind of his word if uh, people end up in hell and that it's kind of a lie toward God's goodness. So that's, that's kind of the first point. So I don't know if you guys want right, well, to talk I, about that. So we don't like bore the heck out of everybody. Uh, including me. Uh, <laughs> what? Uh, okay. It sounds like a very familiar argument that I've heard yeah. over and over again. It sounds maybe like you said it with some original idea there. Is there something original here? I think I've heard this argument 52 oh, different man. ways in the last 25 years. You're trying to throw me under the, uh, well, and you probably know kind of the larger evangelical engagement with um, universalism, you know, cause you're, you're a little older than I am. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> so by the, by the way rob bell uh what five years ago right or yeah. uh, what, what what's new under the sun we just got a revised upgraded more intense eastern orthodox view of rob bell i mean that, that's insulting to maybe david bentley hart hart but then again there's a lot of things that are insulting to david bentley hart so you know i mean uh, i'm trying to provoke here what's different yeah about I, I don't know what's different outside of his trenchant militant tone which many people have commented on. He's just, this is also why I think people really like the book is he's just merciless in attacking reformed theology yeah, and ostracizing and basically calling people mentally deranged or malformed. They're more malformed moral psychology. They're probably dealing with some sort of pathology by believing in eternal hell. Like, I mean, he's just merciless. So I think that's partly, that's partly the reason why I think people love it is because a huge theological giant has come to beat up all the other theological bullies. So it's thank you like, very much. <laughs> that's, that, thank you very much. That's all I need. I'm reading the book and I'm buying about 50 copies myself. <laughs> no, but that, that's exactly the problem. You're part of the problem is that people, yeah, I, and I see this quite a bit, is people of the more nonviolent pacifist mentality who wouldn't normally go after someone so mercilessly. They're they're, they're more than happy that David Bentley Hart did. Right. <laughs> right. right. So right. are you kind of uh, denying your own pacifism when you're excited that someone else is just castigating your opponents? I would never <laughs> deny my own sin. Okay. So, th so look, we got to get through this podcast. We don't have an hour and a half like some people do. Okay. Go, go to the second and third point. I want to get to the last one on the freedom issue. Yeah, well, uh, the second, th so then he just, go he has a chapter on like the biblical references, you know, and I think that's like his best probably his best chapter, which is all the references to hell or to Gehenna, you know, all like these are rhetorical kind of devices and we shouldn't, you know, read too much into them. He has a chapter on what is a person and talking about uh, the divine image of God. And this is also where he kind of bases his 
um, universalism, which is, is if we are all truly like made in God's image, which is ultimately the image of Christ, then um, there's not one image of God that ultimately could be lost. So, and then his whole, the reason he brings up the freedom thing, which I guess you want to talk about, which it, as a pacifist, I think we should, uh, speaking of coercion and non-coercion and whatnot, is, is this is often the best defense for a hell. Uh, and so that's why he goes after it, as he says, um, people will say, well, God has designed a world in which we have free will. And so God will give us what we desire. And if we desire hell, then God won't refuse that to us. Um, and so he talks about that more classical understanding of freedom is not freedom just to do whatever you want. It's always freedom toward the good, freedom to be fully who you are, and you can only fully be who you are in the presence of God. And so therefore, the argument for freedom is actually, in his mind, an argument for universalism. He gets into metaphysics. Uh, he's very dismissive. Uh, he basically says, well, if you're worried about determinism, if you understand the metaphysics properly, it doesn't really matter. So you could be a determinist or not, and it doesn't matter, which I find problematic in the end. Uh, so the, the question is, and I'll just put this to you, Dave, uh, kind of as a, a pacifist, uh, is, is will God conver- uh, coerce everyone into being saved? Is that because that's what I think David Hart is David Bentley Hart is ultimately arguing is against their will or as a as a way of fulfilling someone's will. God will make make sure that they are saved. So what do you think about that? Oh, come on, Jeff. You know what I think about that. Yeah, but what do the listeners know about what yeah. you think about that? No, I mean obviously <laughs> it's a leading question. God Don't is act- love, God is non-coercive, God is patient, God is faithful, God is kind. And he does not work in coercion. And therefore, yeah, I, I want to go to another topic, but absolutely I agree with you on this, uh, that there's a problem here. Um, now I forgot what I was going to say, uh, the main point I wanted to make. <laughs> this, hap- this happens, by the way, when you're getting into those older. <laughs> your body is years. healthy, but your, your mind is, is not? Can, uh, go ahead. Can, can I jump in there? Yeah. Um, so God is non-coercive and won't curse anybody into a relationship with him. But the argument that I've heard from a lot of universalists is that nobody would ever refuse God's glory if they were to encounter it face to face. So everybody will eventually choose mm-hmm. to choose God because nobody's actually going to choose their own damnation. Mm-hmm. So, so what, what do we say to that? I, well, you want to know what I say to that? Poppycock. <laughs> I, I would say, one, one, I would say go watch the new movie Ad Astra and then ask that question again. Because in the one sense, one of the characters in that movie does choose alienation and damnation over life with, in relationship. And so part of it, you know, I, I think a lot of universalists condemn the moral imagination of, of infernalists. Um, and that's fine. And, you know, we could say people who believe in hell are monsters. But I also say, like, maybe you should get out more because there's some really hard-hearted, militantly selfish, embittered people with little hearts, and they rejoice in that. <laughs> and yeah. so part of me is just like, yeah, maybe you need to, like, walk your neighborhood and, and find out, you know, some bitter old, not old, they don't have to be old to be bitter, but like some bitter people who will just give an eternal middle finger to God. Like, I, I can't imagine that. So right. am I a moral monster because I can imagine that? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I am. Right. Maybe I'm a realist. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the great divorce, C.S. Lewis, um, another 
piece of fiction that kind of depicts uh, the view of somebody choosing uh, their yeah. own damnation. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there is uh, something now that, by the way, I do think that universalism is a reaction to excess reform theology. And if we didn't have the problematics uh, deeply interwoven in the reformed construct, maybe we wouldn't have this universalism stuff going on. This is at least excessive universalism. You know, it's a reaction to everybody's going to hell except 3% that got elected and prede predetermined, blah, 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 blah. And it's such a massively ugly view of God that, that people just react the other direction. Yeah. Well, I think that for sure in the, in the American context, um, that, that, that at least that's what I'm seeing is people kind of grew it. That's why I kind of was interested in the argument. If you're leaving kind of sovereignty, predestinarian reformed theology, and you're, you know, kind of more Arminian Anabaptist, like then, Oh, is the natural progression then to become universalist. It's kind of like what Dave always says, you become conservative and then a liberal and then an Anabaptist like, so. And then you land. Um, okay, so let's talk. We're gonna we're running out of time here, Jeff Holzclaw. But uh, uh, I have a question for you, uh, and this has to do with where you're at now after having read David Bentley Hart's book. I have a problem with eternal conscious torment as a mm -hmm. vision of hell. I have a problem with the way uh, some people latch onto that and see that as as a major uh, point. Uh, uh, what do you call it? A uh, uh, a, a main point. Uh, what do you, you remember? A litmus uh, test, a shibboleth. No, a, no I'm talking about doctrine. You know the buttons in the weave of the of the cloth. It's it, the quilting it, points. Yeah, Are you quilting. About Lacan. I am. I am. And you take out you take out that point, and the whole thing falls apart. And for a lot of people I know, eternal conscious torment. You you mess around with that. Oh my goodness, you messed around with their whole uh, idea of soteriology, missiology, and so forth. And I want to ask, what 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 is the problem with what Greg Boyd does and what so many other people do with annihilationism? And the idea that hell is something uh, where sin is our own punishment. It eats away at us, ultimately destroys us in, into nothingness. I just think that, especially since I don't think the devil or Satan has reality apart from the structures uh, that we give him to live in. You know what I'm saying? So, in other words, I think this we have to talk about. What did you learn about eternal conscious torment? Did you Are you still there or have you moved away? <laughs> <laughs> so I I, uh, I could either go with annihilationism um, because I think the end could be like the beginning in the sense of the way I understand the fall is that humanity turned away from the source of life. And if you turn away from the source of life, then you've entered death. So it's not that God makes a second act of like, well, you sinned Adam and Eve and humanity. So now I'm going to kill you like in his judgment, it's just kind of a description. Well, you've turned away from the source of life, so you're going to die. This is Athanasius, I think, in On yes. the Incarnation. He argues this way. And so ultimately, hell is just the ultimate extension of that, which is just you all, all loss of being, all loss of life and existence. So that's, so that's one trajectory. Um, I would also be, you know, I, I could, with a clear conscience, affirm eternal conscious torment in the sense of my own biting regret and bitterness tormenting me rather than, which is like an internal um, kind of struggle, rather than 
uh, God creating different scenarios and situations where I'm tortured. And so that's why I'm eternally conscious tormented. So I don't think God is, is the agent of my torment. Um, but I could see how I'm the own kind of result and the perpetuation of my own torment. So I, 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 I could, you know, I could affirm that in some sense, I'm just, but I am against the idea that God is actively tormenting people. Uh, yeah. But before we wrap it up, I do want to talk about anthropology. Wait, 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 wait. Just, just hold that. We'll get right to that. Uh, look, I know people out there, and I know people within my own denomination are hung up on eternal conscious torment. And if we lose it, somehow we lose something of the justice of God. And we lose something uh, in terms of how the actual biblical descriptions are accurate towards describing hell. I don't see how we lose anything. I think, I think uh, hell as annihilationism, as sin being my own. I have been in hell, my own hell, caught up in my own sin, saved by the grace, love, and mercy of Jesus Christ. And it is torment. And it is conscious. And it's like fire. It'll burn you up. But I also consider that fire to be the means by which um, bad stuff was burned away from my life and the Holy Spirit healed me. And I don't get why eternal conscious torment is such an important thing that we got to hold on to or we're not going to be thoroughgoing evangelicals. Can you give me, can you, should we? I read? cannot give you an answer, but I, David I would like. David Bentley Hart, can you give me an answer? I think he does not care about evangelicals in the least. <laughs> um, but well, so so basically, Dave just came out as believing in purgatory. Is that what I heard? About? <laughs> Is that an argument for purgatory? I'll take purgatory over eternal conscious torment. And if anybody from my uh, denomination wants to call me into the LNO meeting, which by the way, Holesclaw used to be. Actually, no, you were in district executive. Yeah. Okay. I'm willing to go in and defend it biblically, and I'm willing to defend it according to the holiness movement, which we're a part of. I just don't see why we have to be so hung up on eternal conscious torment. Well, maybe the, maybe the answer could be found in talking about uh, the Imago Day, since that's where Jeff's kind of leading us. You, uh, in the article, you talk about what is at stake, and you, I think you talk about the purpose of humanity and there's another p yeah purpose and presence i've been working on oh, yeah. kind of a theological anthropology for around kind of the image of god for a while which is where i say well heart gets it right on the one hand to emphasize presence like we are made for god's presence and in one sense it feels as if god's creation is not redeemed or it is ruined if we are not in God's presence, which would be the universalist argument. But then I'd say, but that's not exactly the whole story of what the goodness of God's creation is. And this is what I think Hart leaves out in his account of freedom, which is that God created a world in which he would have co-creators who would be full participants in create co-creating reality with God. And that's part of what the goodness of creation is. And at the the way I've been thinking about it is is maybe that co-creation kind of wrote in a side story that created hell and God in His goodness, um, because He wanted full-fledged co-creators, not just dummy robots or monkeys on front of a typewriter. Like He, in a sense, has enabled us to create our own hell, and hell came from our creation. So, um, uh, God's goodness, because a lot of times universalists will say, well, we don't want to respect a child's freedom if they're going to run outside of a street and they're going to hit by a car. Like that's just bad parenting. Uh, and so 
Uh, we don't respect everyone's freedom. Sometimes we protect people from themselves. But my answer is, but the goodness of God's creation wasn't to have little children all the time. Like God doesn't view us as little children, ultimately, certainly uh, in some respect we are, but he wants kind of adults who are like co-creating. And so I, I challenge people like, aren't you infantilizing like humanity? Mm-hmm. Like we're not just all babies who can't help ourselves. Um, God didn't want that. That's not a part of his goodness of creation. He actually wants co-laborers in the kingdom. Um, and so part of my understanding of that goodness of creation is that God set up a world where uh, the fall could happen. And so it is, it is a type of argument from freedom, but I actually think it's, a, it's an argument from the image of God. Like God has made us to be co-creators and maybe we created hell and God led us. Mm-hmm. Wow. That was uh, yeah, I appreciate that. I do too. And I think that I think that lines up uh, maybe drawing it back to what Dave was talking about with the ECT, which is if we're created for God's presence, then God would not continually torment us um, within His presence. But on the other on the other hand, the withdrawal of His presence because of our rejection of Him is hell. Yes. Yeah. And all yeah, sorts. Absolutely. Of, I mean, this is something I learned from the great. Uh, with from our friend, the great Greg Boyd, the withdrawal of Christ's presence leads to violence, doggy mm-hmm. dog world, and an implosion on itself. And and this is the world that describes hell. And you a- amplify it a hundred times worse, and it just leads to a condemnation. And so I think uh, I think I'll close with this, and then I'll, I'll just ask you for your your opinion and your opinion. Uh, universalism, I just don't, that's just not good. That's not going to work for me. That's not going to work for me in the history of Christianity and faithfulness to the scripture. Uh, but eternal conscious torment, I think needs to be reevaluated in light of, uh, uh, in light of its problematics within the reform tradition and the way it doesn't make sense of so many things, except if you're a guilt ridden Catholic coming out of the Catholic church in 1492. <laughs> yeah, it it doesn't make sense to me either, but I think it behooves us to pay attention to universalism or or eternal conscious torment doesn't make sense to you. Um well well neither makes sense neither, to me. Okay. Um but universalism is I think is by and large the the quote unquote theology or the philosophy of our day. So I think it I think it's worth paying attention to, especially because most people that we're encountering who aren't in the church but maybe a lot who are, are in the church, but a lot of people who are not in the church, that's what they believe implicitly. So we have to have a pastoral way to respond to them. And Holesclaw, do you have something to say? Um, I don't know if I have anything else to add to that. I think um, my hope, certainly, and I think as Von Balthasar writes, you know, like our Christian hope should, in a sense, that all be saved. Like the longing for love should should kind of align us with that. But then I also think um, taking seriously how God created us and the realities of sin, it's hard to think that everyone will be saved. It's certainly not the Augustinian, only 3% will be saved. Like, you know, um, so I think there's a lot of, of room for discussion uh, beyond the strict universalism and the God is stoking up the fires of hell for just about everyone. Like, I think there's, there should be more room in between those two options for sure. 
Yeah, and and okay, so uh, I know this is going long, but eternal conscious torment. Uh, I actually think the other way of understanding uh, hell, annihilationism, and the other way of understanding the justice of God, sin is its own, uh, the condemnation. Sin, sin is the, uh, the consequences of sin are its own punishment. I actually think that way uh, motivates me more towards engaging the lost and bringing Christ to the world than the other uh, way of thinking about hell and damnation. Do you have any comments on that? Not really. I mean, if it motivates you, then great. Uh, I, I don't like, and I've been talking to some people and I said, like, we should like outside of our own love and experience of Jesus, like we shouldn't really need motivation to share the love of Jesus <laughs> with others. And so uh, and I've had a couple of people say that, like, I don't need to come down either which way on universalism or, or eternal conscious torment to motivate me. And I think that's sometimes the the failure of the Western missionary movement, you know, which is you're always motivated because if, if you don't go, then they're going to burn. And it's like, well, right, right. that shouldn't be our motivation. We should want to go because we want them to know the love and the freedom and, you know, life with Jesus. Like that should be and, our motivation. And that's, that's one way to look at it. And maybe you're hitting at why, why this motivates me differently, but I feel like uh, the, the place of the reform movement is God has condemned all to hell and 3% are going to get saved due to his grace, mercy, and predestination. And I go, uh, part of part of me wants to go, okay, great. Those people deserve it. They're going to hell. I'm out of here. Okay. But when I see the world's caught up in the cycles of sin, death, and evil, and it's a cycle and it leads us to endless destruction in our lives, which I think is so biblical. I am so motivated when Jesus says, you've got the, you've got the keys of the kingdom to loose the chains that bind them. John chapter 20, that motivates the crap out of me to get out there and be present to people and lead them to, to the freedom and love in Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All right. We, I think we all ended up uh, strangely, but wonderfully on an amen. <laughs> Before we go, your two best books, and you mentioned Baldashar, which I now require in my class, Christianity and Pluralism. Give us that name of the book and one other book. You can oh, read. I don't have it in front of me and I'm not in my office. Um, that All Shall Be Saved by Baldashar. Isn't that the title of it? No, no that, that's, the, that's the David Bentley Hart one. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to David Bentley Hart. I think it's um, Baldashar. I think it's Dare We to Hope. Yes, think, that's it. Yeah, I think that's, that's what it is. Um, Another one? Yeah. Well, there's the, the evangelical universalist one, if you want more of the, which, and I haven't Rob, read that. that are you talking uh, Rob Bell? No, no, no. <laughs> the, the, um, it was this, it was Gregory uh, McDonald. It was a pseudonym for um, Perry, um, the evangelical universalist, which everyone I talked to was like, everyone should read that book instead of David Bentley Hart's book. So I'll just pass that recommendation along. Save, yeah, save your, maybe we can put money. that. Maybe we can put that in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen. Well, it's been great to be with Holesclaw one more time. Well, if I'm more, if I was going to recommend any other books, I just have to say my wife and I did just uh, finished writing a book uh, called Does God Even Like Me, which is a very popular version. So if these are pastors or leaders or students, you know, it's it's not written for you, but you'd probably uh, really like it. It's written for you, like, you know, your spouse or, you know, your lay leaders. But the the early, yeah, I'm doing a little book promo. Dave's giving me this little thing. I was like, hey, and, and we have a podcast, which Dave's going to be on eventually uh, called uh, God With Us. So it's a God With Us podcast. I co-hosted <clears throat> it with my wife. So. 
I highly recommend the book. I actually read it. And Not just blur- the intro, the conclusion. <laughs> and blurbed it. And uh, we're looking Amen. forward to come out here shortly. Do you know I have the date of the release? January 21st, but you can pre-order it already. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, I think that just about does it. Wouldn't you say that's a wrap, Mike Moore? Yeah, that's a wrap. Yeah, Mike's a little low on energy today. Have you noticed <laughs> that? Uh, he's got a cold. He's kind of wimping out a little bit. Uh, I had to get him out of bed this morning. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, I had to send him a text. But anyways, folks, uh, Theology on Mission podcast where theology meets mission. If you have time, give us a review. Host Claw, you always ask people to give us a review. on I did, I, yeah. What was it, iTunes or something? Yes, iTunes. Yeah. Although okay. Mike, I hear, has gotten uh, Theology on Mission on Spotify now. So I'll That's just right. it for everyone else. If you're on Spotify, uh, you should listen to Theology on Mission also. Okay, <laughs> shameless plugs all over the place, ladies and <laughs> gentlemen. It's great to be here again with you. We'll see you next week, same time on Theology on Mission podcast. For now, it's Dave Fitch. Mike Moore. Over and out. <laughs>